Good morning. Our message this morning will take us to the end of chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. And it's called Worship of the Creator, looking at the last part of verse 6 and then going to the end of the chapter. We're talking about worship, so I think a good place to start is to make a few comments about worship. I went to Webster's Dictionary to see what the definition they had for the word worship. It said, worship is reverenced, reverence offered to a divine being or a supernatural power. Also said, worship is regard or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. In other words, to worship means to recognize supreme worth. Worship is, in part, listening to what God would say to us through music, through words, and through fellowship. It's also our response to what he speaks to us. He speaks to us collectively as a group, as a body, but he also speaks to us as individuals. It's our response to what he says to us that indeed tells us that worship has occurred. Especially when our life responds with an openness to what God desires to or could change in our lives. We call this time invitation. That's exactly what it is. Your invitation to respond to what God is speaking to you about. Now, that doesn't limit to the end of service by all means of God wants you to respond in that moment, and I would suggest you get up and do what God asks you to do. I want you to know you have that freedom here. You will not make me mad or disturb me. More than likely, I'll probably get down and pray with you right there in that moment. And in our text today, John observes the worship that's taking place in God's throne room. This is given to us so we can fill our lives with great anticipation. We are given the description of those who surround the throne of God. We are told of the praises lifted up to the Lord God, the Almighty. And this helps us to prepare for the glory of worship that is to come. One day, you and I will join in with our own participation in this worship we'll look at this morning. So when you go about your daily life and you face many persecutions and trials, tribulations, God wants you to look forward with great anticipation to you being there in that throne Him with Him and the created beings we'll look at this morning to offer up your own praise to Him. Can you imagine what that will be like. Can you just, don't fall asleep on me. (laughs) Close your eyes for a second. I want you to really think about that throne room of God. Get that in your mind. Picture it in your mind. There he is, the jasper and the sardust, that crystal clear diamond and that red color coming out, the emerald green rainbow, the flashings of lightning and the peals of thunder. Picture that in your mind. You got it? Stay there. You 
can open your eyes. It add to this, John tells us, in the center and around the throne, four living creatures. These creatures are the closest to the throne, the inner circle around the throne, if you will. And he tells us they're full of or covered with eyes in front and behind. This description seems to be drawn upon from Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 18, where Ezekiel talks about the rims of the wheels of a chariot throne. However, that's not part of the vision that we're given here. I always call them living creatures. You have the King James that renders it living beasts. Now, to characterize them as creatures probably does not uh, suggest that there are beings who own their existence to creation, but rather some sort of ominous biological life form. We're allowed to look at them as repulsive. So the beasts kind of do that. Creatures doesn't really give us what's being told us here. Wherever you see these living creatures, brothers and sisters, they are created beings that are doing nothing other than worshiping God for being created and for God sustaining them in their creation. The New Living Translation puts it as living ones. They're not to be considered hideous. They're just created beings like you and I doing the same thing that you and I are created for. And that is to worship the Lord. In their eyes signify unceasing, constant, or continuous vigilance. He goes on to describe them in verse 7. The first creature is like a lion. second creature like a calf or an ox, depending on what translation you have. Third, uh, third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a, like flying, a flying eagle. Now, when he sees these living creatures, it has its background in Ezekiel chapter 1 through Ezekiel chapter 10. There are differences between Ezekiel's description and Don's description. However, there are similarities between the two as well. Now, in Ezekiel, the creatures observed by him are said to be the cherubim. Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 1. Ezekiel says, Then I looked, and behold, an expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone, in appearance resembling a throne, appeared above them. Now here's one of the differences. Look what John says next. Each one of them having six wings. And that's the difference. Ezekiel says they had four. John sees six. Well, that discrepancy can be explained by noting that Neither Ezekiel or John is able to take in every detail of what he sees. Ezekiel provides some of the details, John omits or adds others. This is similar to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke are called synoptic Gospels. They are similar how they are written. But if you look at all three of them, some, Matthew might include something that Luke does not. Matthew might include something that Luke does not, and so on and so forth. You know why that is? If you and I, well, let me not scratch that. If four people are arrested for a crime and they all give the same account word for word, the police know that they're lying because obviously they came and got together. This is what you tell them. 
Every account is going to be just a little different. No, no the same if we went out here in this little bit and saw a crash on 455. You're on the other side of the road. I'm on this side of the road. You may see different details than I do. Now, the, the gospel according to John is different altogether. For example, Matthew talks about Jesus coming from the line of David. John goes, I'll do better than that. Let's go back to eternity past. Jesus was there at creation. That's how John starts his gospel. So that could be accounted for that. And then whether you see a difference occurring between Ezekiel and John about these beasts, they're not really specific. And angels are ministering spirits. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. And they may assume at any time whatever visible manifestation is appropriate. Genesis chapter 18, verse 2, some men come, or he calls them men in Genesis, come see Abram. Apparently he recognizes who they are, but they're not described as having wings. Whatever the case here, Ezekiel chapter 1 through chapter 10 is helpful in identifying them with the cherubim. But once, let's not miss the forest for the trees. Before we get hung up on trying to identify these creatures, what they represent, who they are, there are created beings who are created by God who are praising him for two things. Being created and sustaining them. And he says in verse 8, the first part of it, once again, there are full of eyes around and within. John was impressed with the multiplicity of their visual capabilities. The NIV translation says, even under its wing. Now, the Greek word translated there means uh, inside or innerly. The one that's translated within can also mean inside and innerly. So the NIV I think my personal opinion, prophecy, translators were getting, how, how can that be an eye looking in? But once again, do not miss the forest for the trees. Now, most biblical interpreters see them as four segments of biological life. A lion representing untamed species, the ox representing domestic animals or the calf, an eagle representing avian life, man representing human life, but there is no place for the life that we find in the oceans. However, I believe this cherubim, these four living creatures, represent God's created species, all worshiping God. In other words, representing of all creation, worshiping God. You realize that's going on now, don't you? You know that, right? The waves, the animals, plant life, everything is praising God as we speak. I believe I mentioned this before. There is a song, it's not contemporary anymore, it's been out for some time by Phyllis Craig and Dean talk, talking about his favorite song of all. And they talk about as their waves crash on the rocks and how the birds sing and all this stuff is a great symphony or the great Ontario chorus, as Spurgeon would say, up to God. Now, all this is going on constantly. The heavenly choir is singing what we see here in our text. They're singing, holy, holy, holy. But when one lost person comes to Christ, as low as go, God says, shh, listen to that. One of mine has come home. Indeed, that is his favorite song. When you sing his praises, he loves to hear his redeemed people sing to him. You may not sound really good to yourself, and you say, Tim, I can't sing. Oh, how your God loves to hear you sing and to sing and to praise his name. Look what they're doing. 
these four living creatures. Last part of verse 8. Day and night they do not cease to say. We'll stop right there because if we can't really understand or comprehend what they are, their purpose is sure as clear as crystal. Their purpose is to praise God continually. That phrase, they do not cease, literally in the Greek, they have no rest. Great emphasis is being placed on their unceasing worship. The day and night is making a double emphasis or the stress on their continuous activity. What are they saying? Look back in the text. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. This seems to me to be a a background found in Isaiah chapter 6. Specifically, verses 2 through 4 in Isaiah 6. Isaiah has this vision. He says in verse 2, The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. I want you to know when they're crying this out, they're not doing so quietly. They're crying out to him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holiness as a central attribute of God, has no need for triple expressions. Since the distinction of God from all created order is endemic to that term of holy. Perhaps John is hearing this, and perhaps we can hear this as well. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Spirit. This repetition draws attention to two things. The sovereignty and majesty of the Lord God, the Almighty. The worship of His people, both in heaven and on earth. Praise is the valid response of those who are objects of His love. Who are the objects of your love? Look around you. Look in the mirror. You're an object of God's love. Praise is a natural response back. God, you created me. I have life. But only that, you sustain me. You put me in an environment. We call it laws of nature. I tell you that is God setting all that up. He's not an absentee landlord. He is taking care of his creation. Even now as people are going about, not going to church, not giving him the time of day, he is still in his grace providing for them and sustaining them, hoping that one of us will lead them to Christ. He is patiently waiting for everyone to come to repentance to spend eternity with him. And as a side note, we must not forget the persecution that was happening in the church at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. This served as a reminder that God is all-powerful. Did you hear what I just said? God is all-powerful. Who was and who is and who is to come. God's sovereignty controls the past, the present, and the future. God is indeed eternal and the sovereign ruler of all creation. I respect the office of the presidency. 
But I know the one who let that person to be present in the first place. And that is God, sovereign ruler of the entire universe. He created it. He alone sustains it. Look at verse 9. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. Living creatures are calling this out. Those 24 elders now fall down, prostrate before the throne. Now in the secular realm, it was common for petitioners to prostrate themselves, to fall down before the king and kiss his garment. Lesser kings would lay down their crowns down before the emperor. This demonstrates and displays subordination. There is nothing more humiliating than a conquering king to kneel down before the king that conquered him. He would kneel down and he would give him his crown and kiss his garment. This is the picture that we're seeing here, but they're not kneeling down. They are face down on the ground. They will cast their crowns before the throne. Now that word cast is interesting. It's the Greek word balo, if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm not a Greek scholar, so bear with me. That literally means to throw. If I threw a baseball to Dial over there, I am bowing. I'm casting that to Dial. So some translations say they lay it down. No, they are casting there. There's no time just to lay it down. They're taking off their crowns. They're casting towards the throne, and they're hitting the ground just that quick. And look what they say in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. It's interesting to note that the praise of the living creatures center on God's attributes, where the praises of the 24 elders center on God's work in creation. Now this language is not liturgical, but it's also political. It's reflecting the terminology they were familiar with of the Roman court ceremony. However, the theme of superiority belongs to God and God alone, not to any emperor or judge. Why are they saying he is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power? Look again at verse 11. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. All living creatures owe their origin and their continuous to the creative and potential providential oversight of God. Everybody on this planet walking around, nine billion plus, every man, woman, and child owe their existence to the creative God and also they owe their thanks to him for his providential care and sustaining them in doing so. That alone should be enough to make us come here and worship God and leave nothing and hold nothing back. Let me add something to it. There are some who say the elders around the throne represent fallen humanity, 12 of the original apostles and 12 of the church fathers. This is my point. Most of you in here I know. We owe him thanks and praises to him because he created us, he is sustaining us, and dear beloved, he has redeemed us. Those three facts should drive us all to our knees and repeat and with them declare holy, holy, holy. We owe everything to him. 
every thanksgiving, every praise that we can utter. Can you see this happening in the throne room? Not just once, not just twice. It happens again and again and again and again. Not to be critical, but I know some songs can be repetitive long, long, long time. But that's what they're doing here. Over and over and over and over again. It should be crystal clear that the worship of heaven is not focused on the created order, but on the uncreated and eternal God. Worship is spontaneous, it's moving, it's exciting, and it's literally wrung from the hearts of the participating entities. They're crying out. I don't know if they have hearts like we understand it. All I know is these beings are crying out with everything they have to the Lord God. And they're doing that out of their gratitude to God for creation, providence, and redemption. When God's people, oh, doll, this brings me back to a class long ago that we were called saints, hagias, holy ones, not because of anything you could ever do or have done, it's because of the precious blood of Christ. When we gather together, when we assemble, the worship of every church ought to be nothing less than a rehearsal for that day when we enter into that heavenly worship described in our text this morning. That's what we're here doing. It's rehearsal time. That's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. It's a tragedy. That's not a big enough word. It breaks my heart. That most discussions that happen within our denomination or in churches across this great land. Discussions or the evaluation of worship in church today turn out nothing to be more than expressions of personal preference. Rather than determining if worship is focused on God or not. If you look at our hymn book, there's two sets of hymns out there. You have horizontal, which is encouragement. Have you been washed by the blood? They're also vertical. We just sang one this morning, holy, holy. You, you realize you're singing that to God himself. In heaven, look at the text. Worship and reverence are apparently not defined as silence. There's lightning flashes. There's thunder peals. There's seven blazing lamps. The shouting or the singing of the living creatures and the 24 elders. And then we have the one sitting on the throne who is the Lord God, the Almighty, holy, existing and formerly existing and always existing in the future. He alone is worthy to receive glory and honor because he's the one who created all things and sustains all things. That is what's going on even now as I speak to you in the throne room of God the Almighty, our Lord and our God. Worship must, focused on, must be focused on him, not the surroundings, no matter how beautiful they are. And worship must not focus on the whim of the worshiper's preferences. 
but it must be upon God himself. And the attribution of the holiness of God is a clear recognition on part of all creation that God is distinct from his creation. Therefore, he is sovereign Lord, owner, and sustainer of all. What did you come here expecting this morning? Who did you expect to hear from this morning? I hope you don't come expect hearing me. I stutter. I slur my, I go back and watch. Oh, man, I, did I say that? My prayer is that you're listening for and hearing clearly in your heart the voice of God. That's what all this is about. Do you know why the pulpit's in the center of this platform? This is not a stage. I'm not an actor. A platform, you see. You know why this is here? It's also called the sacred reading desk in England. You know why it's here? Because we believe as Baptists that the word of God is at the center of our worship. That nothing can replace the written word of God to hear it. It's the word of God that changes hearts. And changes us into becoming more like Jesus. That's sanctification. Hmm. My prayer is that you'll get a, a vision in your mind about what's happening in heaven. You'll want to long to have that type of worship experience. It it's okay to talk about worship preferences and music. That's not the point. The point is, are we worshiping God with everything we have, holding nothing back, simply because he created us, he sustained us, and he redeemed us? That's it. Everything else he does is icing on the cake, if you will. Look how long-suffering he is. Look how patient he is. Look at his mighty love, how deep and how wide it is. I love that hymn that talks about if every man was a scribe by trade and every stalk a quill, what they used to write with, and the sky was parchment, and all the oceans were nothing but ink. They would drain the oceans dry, trying to describe the love of God on the sky that reached so far. It would fill up, because we can never fully describe the love of God. Praise God that he is our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. Have you praised him today? Have you thanked him today? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Not just here, but here. This is your time to do so. This is your invitation. God is speaking. He's speaking to each and every one of you, including myself. His arms are wide open. Just like Jesus were on that cross so many years ago. But once again, I'll say this to I'm blue in the face. The only thing stopping you is you. Do you long to experience God? Do you want to you be alongside those heavenly beings that we just read about just crying out to him? Step out of your comfort zone. Trust God. He won't let you down. But this I'm convinced of. He deserves my worship. Every bit of it. Not a football team. Not a baseball team. Not an actor or an actress. 
I will cheer them on, but they are not worthy of my worship. Only he is. He deserves it. This is our rehearsal. We get just a small, small taste of what it will be like for all eternity. Well, Tim, I can't. The Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say you have to be in tune. He loves to hear you. And he's calling each one of us to become more like his son today than we were yesterday. And this invitation is for everybody, regardless of where you're at on your spiritual walk with God. Please, I beg of you and I implore you, do not waste this moment. You'll never find another group so loving, so supportive, and caring that you're right here in this house. Because we all know where we come from. We all know where God brought us from and where God's taken us to. I want you there beside me on that day when we worship God. On that day, we'll be reunited all our loved ones who've gone on before. But then, greater than that, see the one who made it all possible. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, who loved you so much. He said, I'll get up off this throne where I deserve, and I'll go down, I'll become a man, live it myself. I'll still divine, but I won't use any of my deity, supernatural powers. I'll walk among them. I'll eat. I'll experience everything they do. Heartache. And then I'll lay my life down because I'll live this life without any sin because I'm sinless. That way I can become the perfect sacrifice for them. Exactly what he did. Not just for the white people, not for just the black people, not for just Americans or Europeans. It's for every man, woman, and child. Will you accept this gift? Will you continue to walk and become more like Christ? The decision is up to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... We thank you for being creator. Of all the things this universe you created, you would think of me. All my imperfections. All the things that distract me. But yet, you think of me. You have all these people that are in the sound of my voice on your mind even now. You're calling out to them. The almighty God who sits on the throne. You're wanting to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Some of us have made that choice. And over the years, we've got distracted. Got a little lost along the way and somewhat feeling depressed at times. Father, would you rekindle that that fire in our hearts? And God, for those who are calling even now to 
join this local body. I, I pray, dear God, you give them the boldness and the courage. Father, you deserve it all. I don't deserve anything. But let you lavish your great love upon me, upon all of us. May everything we say and do bring honor and glory to your mighty name. May your spirit continue to move in this place, and may you respond in obedience to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?